I know admissions isn't sales technically, but between sales and marketing, right? Of like the sale admissions, why aren't you enrolling these students? And the admissions team is like, well, marketing these, the inquiries and the lead quality isn't that great. So I think even first, like just taking a step back to realize we're all on the same team and that we're working together. Welcome to Attention Retention, a special podcast series on how to attract, enroll, retain, and empower the modern learner. Brought to you in partnership with our friends at Archer Education. Over the course of this series, we will cover higher ed's product problem and discuss how to fix it, the challenges with major and program relevance in today's dynamic market, how to successfully attract, enroll, and retain adult learners, and how to compete in a market when your school doesn't have a national brand. This series is co-hosted with Angie Moore, the Senior Vice President of Student Engagement, and Clayton Dean, the Senior Vice President of Agency and Partnership Management at Archer. And also with yours truly, Zach Buzicruz here from Enrollify. Attention Retention is comprised of six episodes, but the content doesn't need to be consumed sequentially. That said, if you want to listen in chronological order, be sure to scroll on down to the show notes where you'll find every episode listed and linked. Getting attention is hard enough, so once you have it, you've got to do everything that you can to harness it. And that's what our friends at Archer Education help schools do so dang well. Well, you'll get a taste of some of their ideas on how to optimize marketing and recruitment strategies over the course of this series in order to really learn more about how Archer revolutionizes the student experience through marketing, enrollment, and retention services, you'll want to check out the content hub that they built exclusively for Enrollify subscribers. You can find this content hub at archeredu.com forward slash Enrollify. Again, that's archeredu.com forward slash Enrollify. All right, without further ado... Welcome to Attention Retention. All right, Clayton and Angie, I want to start today's convo by talking about brands that you both have great affinity for. So what is it that you love about these particular brands? Why do you purchase their products as opposed to products that their competitors might offer? Uh, and, you know, bonus points if these are, you know, not Apple or Tesla. But if they are, that's okay, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so don't don't laugh when I say this, but and I have reasoning for this, but Patagonia, also known as Patagucci to some, <laughs> I, I appreciate, I'm the kind of person I'll pay extra to get quality that lasts. So I have, and I think when I thought about this is, you know, I think, think about this is like how that relates to what people like quality and price and higher ed too. But, um, I have a pair of board shorts. I used to be on a lifeguard competition team that are 17 years old that I still wear that are Patagonia. So for me, that brand equals quality, and I know I can pay for it and have something that'll last a long time, right? So that's that's why I appreciate you know that brand. So what about you, Angie? So quick aside though, have, yeah. have you heard the story of the wetsuit? How they designed their kind of like game-changing wetsuit? 
how it's like all one one piece or something uh, well like it's been a while but it's like made of wool it's make it oh made, yeah instead of neoprene or whatever yeah, it's a super yeah. awesome brand story too about how they brought in yeah divergent thinking right like people from different kind of mindsets or areas of thinking and so someone like with a textile background was like right why the hell are we making these wetsuits out of neoprene it stinks it's you know yeah, it tears easily know if that's right but yeah that's right so then they ended up developing one out of wool i just thought that was a super great innovative story and or well, story of innovation well what's really cool too is no matter how old you know what age the garment is if it tears or breaks yeah. you can send it they'll fix it or replace it so yeah, that is cool pretty neat so mine, I guess, is kind of a dorky one, but there's this like vitamin brand called Care of. The website's like oh. Take Care of. And so what I love about it is the personalization behind it, which again, it's super dorky, but it's, you know. I took my Care of vitamins this morning. Yeah. So you go, you <laughs> go on the website and it's a whole quiz or questionnaire of like, you know, are, do you struggle with fatigue? Like, how old are you? Like, all these questions about, like, who you are as a human, obviously, woman, male, female, whatever. Um, and then it it personalizes a vitamin pack of, like, daily multivitamins for ah, you. Ah, interesting. And so okay. not only is that experience cool because you're like, oh, this is tailored to me. Then you can even go through and say, like, I don't want iron or I already have that supplement or whatever. So you can customize it yourself, too, if you know yourself and know what you do and don't want or need but then they ship them to you in like really beautiful packaging but it's also like biodegradable you know like and you can recycle all the um, packaging and things like that and they're also and there's a lot of packaging so you could kind of argue about that but they're in the individual pouches so yeah. every day like i don't have to think about it. i just grab the pouch and i don't have to have a pill bottle and fill or like the monday tuesday yeah, wednesday yeah, yeah. thing for all the different <laughs> vitamins but i just have felt like their experience from kind of top to bottom has just been fun and like top notch and I actually really like the vitamins too so that helps I feel like the product is really good but just from a brand experience perspective I feel like for what like today's consumers want they've just really nailed that experience yeah. so it's something as simple as like a daily vitamin but yeah to your point the yeah the experience that they've created around the product while the product itself might not be that that you know distinct or unique it's the experience it's the branding yeah it's the quiz right yeah. um and yeah I, I love companies that take relatively like mundane products or i i think of that um like the oh gosh it, i think this guy started was it is it method um is method the same who's the there's another vitamin brand called uh, it's like a gummy. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Point being that uh, it's really cool to see when when brands get really creative. They find a simple mundane product, whether it's like a Band-Aid, whether it's vitamins, and create a whole unique experience around it. And I think, you know, for the purposes of today's conversation, one of the things that excites me is thinking about institutions who might have similar products. Like their their programs and majors might not be dramatically different than that of other schools but they've created and cultivated a unique experience, a unique way of interacting with the material, a, you know, a unique buying process, right? And a unique admissions process. And that alone can be a differentiator, even if your product is relatively the same. Yep, so I thought it would be fun to have sort of just an open discussion and, and brainstorm about how schools that do have limited resources and you know, might even have lesser known brands, might be able to stand out with their branding, their marketing, their student recruitment campaigns uh, in ways that are unique to their competitors, even when they can't afford to just spend more. So here's a couple scenarios I'll throw out and we'll see how this goes. 
Um, so Angie, you've got $250,000 to launch a year long brand campaign. So you got a little bit of money. It's not tons of money, but, uh, it's, it's a little bit of something. And your goal is to help communicate to folks within a hundred mile radius of campus about your new STEM majors. Okay. So you think on that Clayton, you've got $150,000 to launch a year long brand campaign that focuses on recruiting students who live in the nation's top 10 cities to come to to come and study at a school with a, a regional brand in a rural environment. Okay, so you're you're recruiting people from the cities to come out to the the suburbs or in another rural environment. Angie, you're really focused on um, you know helping create a year long brand campaign where you're focused on bringing people to a major metropolitan area. Um, so where, where do you each start? How do you spend your cash? What are, you know, what are the very first things that you choose to spend money on? And then what are the second and third things that you spend money on? Yeah, I think the first thing that I would do, (laughs) um, and I guess spend money on, but is really understand the, uh, local and regional employment, uh, opportunities. So, are there employers in the area that have specific STEM career needs in obviously technology? Um, and so I think really tapping into the local market to understand where the job market is and um, maybe even if there are partnership opportunities to help, you know, um, actually, you know, feed new employees into any of those employers that are looking for um, talent and can't fill spots. Um, but then I'd really just from there, I guess, focus on like, what are, so what are those needs, identifying those needs and, and like really diving into the specifics, like what type of, uh, employees are they looking for? And not just the, the, the hard skills there, but the soft skills too, and how, you know, you can speak to those things as well, or what, what types of people might be good for those roles. And then I think I would really spend, um, you know, a, another kind of chunk of, I, I feel like time is also <laughs> a resource <laughs> I'm thinking of as well. Um, but, um, diving in then to what is, so what are the different types of, um, again, I'll, t- I'll speak personas, but really like who, who in this 100 mile radius, um, is a good fit for STEM careers or is looking for STEM careers and kind of building really specific, um, content not just advertising content, but just content in general about, you know, how that could fit into your program um, and and understanding kind of what's what's unique about the program so you can speak to that in the content. So I think generally what speaking, what I'm trying to say is having a <laughs> robust kind of content marketing strategy. Yeah, yeah. You think about if it's a competitive market, you're in a major metropolitan area, you, you're going to have to compete on your uniqueness and your ability to have something that connects with these prospective students. So that's content about the programs, about, um, you know, um, people that are successful in the area, all the, yeah. the employment opportunities and things like that. Um, so I think that's where I would start. I mean, there's a ton of different directions that you could go from there, but I think those would be really important things to do uh, out of the gate. What I like about what you said too is that you'd, you'd actually start by looking at what are the regional specific needs, right? And identifying those needs, those employment needs, and then launching a campaign. Because I think what's cool about that is like, in theory, if you understand what a particular market, the gaps a particular market has or the most immediate needs a particular market has, and then if you go and you take that, 
develop a marketing campaign around that, then students who see that marketing campaign, if they are compelled to work in that particular space in this specific region, they'll choose your program. And then in theory, right, like they should be able to graduate and then actually go and get a job immediately after graduation. Because again, you did the, you did your homework, you figured out what is it that this particular area needs, and then you use that insight to inform your recruitment strategy, as opposed to what a lot of schools do, which is like the other way around, right? Like, and so I love that. I love that approach. Clayton, what about you? How would you spend a hundred thousand dollars to convince people from major metropolitan areas, major cities to come and study in a completely different context, a, a rural environment? Yeah. I mean, <sighs> First thing I would ask my team if we were brainstorming and top 10 cities came up, I would first question why we're targeting the top 10 cities when we're in potentially in a situation where the brand may, we, we might not be able to spend enough to get that brand the exposure it needs, right? So a lot of times when you're looking at major metropolitan areas, you're going for volume, but Angie, I think you noted, you know, most students come within a 50 mile radius, right? So what are the realities of, of, you know, is it, is it even worthwhile to, to target those DMAs, right? It might, what I would recommend is looking, you know, starting hyper local and learn and test and expand out. So whether it's brand or direct demand generation, maximize those opportunities where you are actually going to have brand affinity, especially when you're working with, you know, hundred K budget yeah, really yeah. is not a lot. Yeah, yeah. So like you need to operate where you can squeeze out as much opportunity as you can collect data and then slowly expand out. Last week, I finally finished season two of Ted Lasso. When the series had come to an end, it was only 9.45 p.m., which meant I had a solid 45 minutes before it was time to go to sleep. I don't know if there was a glitch in the recommendation algorithm or something, but there was no opportunity to keep watching Apple TV. I was engaged, I wasn't ready to go to bed. I was willing to give Apple more of my time because I wanted more Lasso-like content in my life, but they led me to a dead end. So I left and started browsing Netflix instead. And while the journey to enrollment for a student is quite different from binging an Emmy award-winning TV series, all institutions and streaming services actually care about the same thing. And that thing is attention. If you work in student recruitment, you're in the market for eyeball time. You're not just competing with other institutions, you're competing with every brand that's in the market for views, clicks, and scrolls from your target audience. Getting attention is hard enough. So once you have it, You've got to do everything that you can to harness it. And that's what our friends at Archer Education help schools do so dang well. Archer is pioneering a new era in personalized student recruitment through its story-driven and technology-enabled approach that's designed to support the entire enrollment process. And one of the ways that Archer is doing this is through Onward, their digital experience platform. Onward is a dead-end squasher. It's a choose-your-own-adventure-style experience that replaces your static thank-you pages with an always-on system that pre-qualifies every prospect, so your admissions team can focus their efforts on those inquiries that are engaged right now. Onward is the secret in the toolbox of top-performing admissions teams. It's the attention optimizer that keeps prospects engaged and inspires them to offer more context about who they are, what they want, and when they're looking to enroll. To learn more about how to harness attention when it's hot, visit archereducation.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's archereducation.com forward slash enrollify. 
Oh, and if you're struggling to get attention from prospects, the Archer team has a plethora of digital advertising solutions in their arsenal that'll help you reach the precise students that you're looking for. And if you haven't discovered it already, Enrollify and Archer have partnered on a brand new podcast series called Attention Retention. Learn more about Attention Retention wherever you get your podcasts or at podcast.enrollify.org. Get attention, keep attention, hit your enrollment targets. Visit archereducation.com forward slash enrollify to learn more. Yeah, I liked your question a lot, Clayton. Um, I think, you know, we talked to a lot of schools that, you know, they have online programs and they really want to compete nationally. And what we typically identify is their like number one top opportunity really is their local market. Like we haven't tapped this out yet. There are still students that are, you know, um, looking for these types of programs or these types of careers. Um, so it, so I think that that's a really important distinction to make. And it's so much more expensive to generate brand awareness in a market where no one's heard of you than starting locally and expanding out slowly so that you can kind of create those economies of scale and and piggyback on the little bit of brand recognition you might have in the closer areas. Um, so yeah, I think it's Im- important to understand that your local market is, you know, you have to have kind of tapped that out before you really want to start looking beyond yeah. that. What I would say too, just being just from like a tactical perspective, you got to be really, you got to maximize the value of that hundred thousand dollars right so every, you need to maximize and get the most out of every campaign from an impression perspective and I, I also say you know for me I look at it differently of like a brand play versus a direct demand play right like so and, and I would strategize a little differently from a brand perspective I would look at opportunities think a little bit outside of the box where you can kind of blend some traditional like out of home utilize billboards and geofencing like ways that you can tactically, you can strategically, I should say, utilize those those um, those tactics. Say, for example, you're growing an RN to BSN program, right? And you can strategically place billboards where you know a lot of flow of nurses are driving by, and utilize geofencing, and you can track all of that. But you're going to get the most bang for your buck from an impression perspective if you're just going from like a for a brand play, right? If it's a if if you're looking like for direct lead gen. I would play it a little bit differently. I'd probably go, I most likely would go, you know, search first and, but in, in targeting again, that 50 mile radius, like start where, you know, you might have some brand affinity yeah, yeah. and maximize each phase of the funnel and let the data kind of tell the story. You know, that's funny. I <laughs> typically, I start, you know, I think we all do at Archer, just like every question or every problem, like what is the ultimate goal here? And it's funny because I definitely did not do this when when you asked the question. It's like, well, what are we actually trying to accomplish? Yeah, are we yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to grow the brand? Are we trying to enroll students? Yeah. Uh, so I think that makes a big difference uh, to your point, Clayton, on how you would approach um, marketing and spending that, that budget. Yeah, and I, I would, anyone in this situation, I think to your point of de- really defining that problem, is really critical. And that's something that I think our team does really well. And we put a lot of emphasis on defining that problem very clearly and succinctly, and then going to the team to brainstorm and define what is success and what are those tactics and strategies we'll build around that. Um, I think if you can kind of get to that point, when when you're in a situation where you have a limited budget, you need to maximize it. Um, I think that's going to set you up for the most success. If you real, all, all, if you all are all really aligned around what problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, yeah. 
On, on this note, we're, we're sort of dancing around this a little bit, but one of the things that we get questions from folks on about a lot is when you're thinking about sort of a strategic marketing plan, like a 12-month you know, strategic marketing plan, a strategic marketing plan over the course of a, an academic year, how, like, are you going with one campaign? Are you, should you be thinking about like quarterly marketing strategies? Like how oftentimes, right? Schools, if, it, if it's an institutional marketing campaign, right? It's like, again, one sort of general 30,000 foot theme that we're going to go blast to kingdom come and tell people that we are the best, you know, thing since sliced bread and, you know, come pursue your, your possibility here. Right. And that's, that's a little bit of an easier thing to every two, three, four years, right. There might be a whole institutional marketing campaign, but thinking about it within the context of like enrollment marketing specifically, or uh, a student recruitment campaign, how, how should folks kind of break down a 12 month strategic marketing plan? Like, should, should they have quarterly goals? Does that make sense? Like how, how often are, should, should schools be pivoting with respect to campaign performance? Like, how, I guess how much planning is too much planning and how much, you know, what, what, what does need to be planned? It's a great question. I think there's kind of two variables here. If it's a brand new launch versus steady state, right? Say you're, you're two years in, you know, as a, as that program matures, it does get more difficult. And I think you really need to revisit that strategy often. Um, what I would recommend is in the, what, like the way we approach it is having a strategy lead who's kind of outside looking in who can really monitor, um, work with the team to, de to define that problem statement, success, what are the st strategies and tactics we're gonna deploy? At a minimum, review that quarterly, or unless there's something within the program or within the, you know, within the organization that's going, that could impact our, the strategy we're deploying, right? So say there's a specialization that's included or the curriculum changes or you know, whatever it might be, there might be variables in there that could impact that, or, you know, it could be a change to the enrollment goal. It could a plus or minus, right? So there's things that could trigger us to take a step back and say, let's revisit the problem we're trying to solve, the goals that we're trying to accomplish and readjust our strategy based on that. I think the worst thing you can do is kind of set it and forget it. And I think a lot typically do that. Um, you know, just, especially if you're under-resourced, it's hard to, it's really hard to put the time into, yeah. to monitor it that way. But I think you, I think you at minimum need to revisit it quarterly. Um, kind of take a look at what's happening. We look at it kind of monthly from like a marketing perspective, um, quarterly from like full funnel as well. And just re, you know, analyze everything that we're doing, make sure we're accomplishing what we set out to, to do. Yeah. I know you asked this question about, I think more specifically around like marketing, the marketing side of things, but I kind of have a, a little bit of a different perspective or lens my team being on the enrollment and lead nurturing side of things, but we are really looking at like each enrollment cycle too, right? So, um, you know, how is messaging resonating and how are, how are those prospective students kind of moving through the funnel? Um, and then working really closely with the admissions team to understand like how we can get better next time with those communications while also, you know, again, I think we just have the luxury in terms of what we're doing. It's not these big grand marketing campaigns. Um, 
but that we can go in and make optimizations more on the fly based on, so for example, an open rate on an email that didn't perform as well as we think it should have, we can test um, subject lines or the CTAs in the email, the calls to actions and the buttons that people are clicking on. So again, I think it's kind of a different perspective, but it's, um, I think it's important to look at the impact that you can make every start and um, if, especially when you're talking about the goal being enrollments or lead gen. Um, so I think it's important to kind of look at it with that lens on, as well. On that note, so, you know, in, we're, we're sort of, we're, we're operating from the mindset that we're a smaller, you know, under-resourced institution here, right? We, we might have a solid regional brand, but like no one outside of our local area really knows about us. So in in these contexts it's especially important that the enrollment team and marketing team be in sync so i'm curious like to hear your all's thoughts on whether it's an example or just uh you know anecdotally how are how do you see marketing and admissions teams like working well together and like what is what is the cadence of communication that makes sense within the context of a strategic marketing plan so you've come up with a plan you've identified hey this is our goal for enrollment Here's how this translates to lead, lead goal, et cetera. And you launch the campaign. And then, you know, Clayton, your team is, you know, launching all the, uh, the ad creative has gone out. People are starting to come in. Angie, you're looking at this. Your team is monitoring this. And you're saying, you know what? People aren't moving through this, uh, this lead nurturing sequence like we would have expected, right? Like open rates are really, really, really low on these emails. Like what's going on? Like Talk to us a little bit about how, like in that example, Angie's team, the admissions team should talk to to marketing so that marketing knows, hey, maybe we need to go profile somebody a little bit differently. Or maybe, maybe you know, this creative is good at getting people in the door, but the people that are coming in, like not necessarily the most quality of, of prospects. So how, how do you reconcile that? So there's a couple of things. So one of the first things we're going to do where we have the best, vis- just speaking from the marketing side, when we have that full funnel visibility, at least from like, a metrics perspective, right? So we can monitor, we can monitor the full funnel and see where every lead we generate, where that's tracking in the funnel, right? So we have that big strategy we review quarterly, but we're literally looking at it daily and weekly where we have that full funnel visibility. We don't always have that luxury just on campus. They may not have the systems and the tracking in place. So we do operate kind of blind. And I think in that scenario, that's when it's really critical that we're syncing with the recruitment team at least every week or two, or at least getting some kind of pass back from them around what they're hearing, you know, what, um, you know, any kind of data they can supply to us, even if it's just their team kind of manually uh, monitoring that, passing that back to us allows us to make those, you know, be really agile, make those changes on the fly. So if they're seeing a big swath of, you know, we launch a new campaign, they're seeing a lot of people who are way off of what we're, you know, what we're, what we're shooting for. Um, we can make those tweaks on the fly and 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 adjust pretty quickly. As you were asking that question, Zach, the thing that popped into my head immediately is just this old kind of debate. I know admissions isn't sales technically, but between sales and marketing, right? Of like, the sale admissions, why aren't you enrolling these students? And the admissions team is like, well, marketing these the inquiries and the lead quality isn't that great. So I think even f- first, like just taking a step back to realize we're all on the same team and that we're working together. And so, you know, it isn't finger pointing or anyone's fault, but how do we actually collaborate to make this a better experience for the students? Um, and that starts with, you know, just having those conversations. I think even one of the first things you said about identifying the goals out of the gate for enrollment, 
from the marketing campaigns. I think sometimes we're moving so quick that we don't even stop to do that from one enrollment cycle to the next. Like, okay, here's where we landed. Let's look at the next enrollment cycle and see how we can get better. Um, so I think it really starts with just putting those touch points into our own processes to say, when do we need to like stop for a minute, get together, collaborate, and do that uh, from a place of collaboration versus like whose fault is it that we didn't hit our goals? Um, which I know is hard. It's harder to do that than to say that, but I think it, it is important, again, just to kind of take a step back every once in a while and realize that that's, that's really what's going on. <laughs> For sure. Well, I think it highlights the importance of having that data and tracking infrastructure in place because it leaves a lot up to interpretation and, and opinion versus when you can look at the funnel and say, well, here's where people are getting stuck, right? it may not be a, a lead issue. It may not even be an enrollment issue. It's like, maybe there's some friction in the experience that we need to focus on. You know what I mean? So, um, that the folk, you know, having that in infrastructure in place is really critical. Yeah. One of the things that I think a lot about when a we're, we're talking to a school or, or I'm talking to like a VP of marketing or VP of missions and they're, you know, blaming the other, like they're like, Oh, well, our marketing team does, you know, they're, they're, they're just not in sync with us or all they care about is, you know, these flashy like brand videos and like they're not actually, you know, there to help us. And then vice versa. It's like we give emissions all these leads and, you know, they're, they're still complaining that like, you know, we're down when it comes to enrollment. And, you know, I, I think to, to your all's point, like there has to be more collaboration. I think that in 2022, like this is the year where marketing and emissions have to figure out like how to step in sync with each other to, you know, and I think it really does require this like very very honest conversation about like what are you going to own right like let's let's establish ownership two people cannot own the same thing like who's going to play lead who's going to play support right and i think that you know where a lot of these conversations start are at the marketing you know are at the campaign level like if you are investing money and resources to go out and promote a specific program and then at some point the people that are going to be coming in from these campaigns are going to be handed off to a different team for nurturing right the, the various steps there have to be crystal clear and i you know to our earlier conversation actually like there is this like gray area right about like okay well this, these people didn't, they didn't come from like our core inquiry form, the, you know, the core inquiry form that asks 20 different questions, right? They came off of a, a lead ad, a Facebook lead ad. Okay. Like, are these people really ready for admissions? Like, or do they need to be nurtured a little bit more since they didn't come from the website, you know, properly? Do they need to be, you know, nurtured in a little bit more of a, of a specific way before we have our admissions team call them or text them and whatnot? So, this is a long way of asking a relatively simple question, which is how do you all think marketing and admissions teams can work better together, especially in a context, right? Like, like what many schools are in, which is that they don't have loads of resources. They don't have massive marketing and admissions teams. And sometimes, you know, it's the same people depending on the school that are, that are doing both the marketing execution and also some of the admissions nurturing. So how do these teams work better together? I think even if you don't have really robust or sophisticated tracking technology and tools to help you understand the like granular aspects of how everything's performing, I think just having a conversation again, like creating some operational, like here is when we get together to talk about these things, but it's really just information sharing of here's what we're seeing from our perspective. What are you seeing from your perspective? And let's talk about, there's gotta be overlap in terms of um, 
you know, for example, the the lead ads, I think sometimes you might have an admissions team that doesn't even understand where that lead came from. So they might even start by saying, well, there are some leads that have a different set of information. Like you kind of have to start at ground zero sometimes on these to say, okay, well, these, these ads are coming in from a different place. Should we work them differently? Should we have a completely different process in place to handle those? Because you know, we aren't getting as much information. They may not be ready to talk to admissions yet. Like we probably need to um, increase that nurturing cadence to go out a little further, maybe have some stronger calls to action within them to see if they truly are interested or yeah, see if yeah. they drop off. So I think it really is, I know that's maybe too like watery of an answer, um, but I think it, you know, without the tool, I think it comes down to tracking everything you're doing and sharing that information, but I think getting together and just having conversations about what each team is doing and owning, because I think you'll even find from those conversations where some of those gray areas are and where maybe some people are doing things that you didn't even realize they were doing or still owning, so, yeah. I have one particular example with, with a partner of ours where our team is getting approached by the director of marketing and the director of admissions with directive around campaign updates, people we should be targeting, things like that. And they're not in, it's very clear they're not in sync. So I think in that scenario to me, they're not aligned on what problems they're trying to solve, mm -hmm. right? And what even what their objectives of what they're trying to accomplish. I think each is looking at it from a different lens and coming about it from a different angle, right? So even just sitting down and agreeing on, here's what we're trying to accomplish, Here's where we're going to work together. Here's where I'm going to focus. Here's where you're going to focus. And let's reconvene on that. Let's, let's review where we're at periodically, right? And, and communicate. I think they're just not communicating at the end of the day. I think a, a really good example of this, uh, too, is a, a story that uh, I, I think they were a VP of enrollment marketing told me uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And there, this happened, I guess, last year. There, there was a marketing team that was running a bunch of different uh, ad creative, and they were trying to test, like, kind of what we were talking about a couple episodes ago, whether or not a more emotional draw or more of a, a informative draw would compel greater conversion. And they were looking at their ad campaigns, and they were looking at these campaigns in somewhat of a silo. They weren't really talking to admissions, and they found this one particular ad set and uh, an ad creative that just wasn't performing well from a click-through rate perspective. And so they were about to axe the campaign when somebody said, "Hey, we let's just talk to admissions and and like make sure like we're not like missing something here." Well, as it turns out, while even though the the click-through rate was really low on that ad set, the people that came from that ad set they converted, they, they yielded at an incredibly high rate. It was like 5X the, the other ad campaigns. And what they were sharing with me is that they were like, if we had been more in sync, right? You know, we, or sorry, if we hadn't been more in sync, like we would have cut that campaign completely. And that was like the best yielding campaign for the things that at the end of the day were, were actually measured by. And so I think that's just a small example of like, why it's so important that these teams find ways to, again, define who owns what, and then, and then second, right, ensure that there is deep collaboration throughout the entire academic cycle, because if not, like, it's just too easy to miss stuff like this. Right. Yeah, I think it, it also highlights the importance of having that sophisticated tracking in place where you can track that activity down to an enrollment to see, okay, here are all our applied students and here are all of our enrolled students. Let's see what they had in common in their journey. Because um, I think, you know, again, I just spoke to the importance of, you know, collaborating with admissions and having that 
just those conversations, they don't even have to be around super specific data points. But when you can actually look at that data and understand, you can highlight some of those things as well. Like, um, you know, this group of students, to your point, they may not, leads don't necessarily, um, you know, we're not converting all of them, but the ones that do actually make it to app actually enroll at a higher rate. So that's an important piece of feedback too. And like you said, you can get that a few different ways, but it is really important to be able to get that across, you know, all the activities that you're doing over time. Well, yeah, I mean, and I think what it really speaks to too is like, you know, some things do require deeper analysis, like at, at you know, face value, this looked like a bad ad set, like it looked like we're wasting money, but then you dig just a couple layers deeper and you realize, oh my gosh, no, this is an incredibly, per you know, uh, uh, well-performing asset and we need to actually double down on this, like not cut it out from the mix. What, and I think that's why it's important to really understand ultimately where you're trying to go because you might be willing to sacrifice some of the upfront marketing metrics for the down funnel conversion, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like making sure you're aligned because marketing might say, well, we're not, you know, the CPL is too high. Well, you know what? It's worth it because it's converting into students, right? So I think that alignment is really critical. Yeah. I think too, some of what you're saying made me realize the earlier question about how often to update marketing campaigns and and what I said about you know making iterative changes on the fly you know we can look at things like an open rate or a click-through rate or see how someone's engaging and and make those tweaks on the fly but you really do need to see how those leads end up converting and take the time to do that deeper analysis at the end of a start so that to Clayton's point you can actually see what the end result is and make probably more meaningful optimizations or decisions around what ultimately happens. So there are those metrics kind of higher in the funnel that you can look at that individual performance of ads or, or nurturing. Uh, but then it really is important to look and do those deeper dive analyses to see what the most successful students have in common and even like what the least successful students have in common, whether it's a lead source or how they're engaging with things, maybe even how they're answering a question. We have um, a question in our nurturing um, experiences and, you know, we ask like what's most important to you as, as you're on your educational journey. And we have found this is general for one client. So I think, but there's just the idea here is that you can look at these types of things that if someone for this particular program is saying that it's important for them to juggle work and life and the flexibility, that they actually don't convert as high of a rate as someone that's just trying to figure out how to finance the degree. So, you know, you can go back and look at those data points to understand who might actually convert at a higher rate based on even how they answer specific questions for that type of program. So, yeah, that's super, super interesting. I, I'd love to get your all's thoughts on the specific strategies, tactics, channels that a school that, you know, is a, a smaller school, they're known regionally, but they don't have a national presence. Like if they, if they do want to compete, if they want to expand who they're targeting, right, who they're reaching, you know, what are some good ways for them to do so? Like what are, what are the specific channel strategies and tactics that you'd recommend again, with the goal being to expand uh, brand reach. And then what are some channels, tactics uh, and or strategies that they should avoid? So, I'm a big believer in SEO and inbound and especially for smaller schools. I, I think if you, if you do the work to kind of deploy those strategies correctly, I think between leveraging your faculty and building that, that content for each stage of the funnel, really high quality content. Um, I think there's a ton of opportunity there. I think it's, it's just having the right strategy behind what, what you're deploying, but I think it, it can open up 
a lot of doors and expand your reach to a lot of different audiences. And you can do so pretty efficiently. Um, I think when you get into, you know, search is obviously not getting any cheaper, you know, so I think you got to get creative. Um, I think one thing I, I've been thinking about is just like when you talk about brand, what what is brand, right? And I, it's a question that I've been thinking about for a while, right? And it's if you if you boil it down, it's like how how users, how students feel about you, right? And I think SEO can really help address a lot of that. And and there's a lot of similarities and what will define a brand and how you can build a brand and and expand an audience and and some of the practical application of, of SEO. So useful usable, desirable, findable, you know, it's all these elements that can allow you to engage with audiences on a deeper level and open up to new audiences, leveraging really high quality content that is going to help solve the problems, answer questions, right? So you can, you can address each stage of the funnel with really quality content. It doesn't have to be an enormous content machine. You can be really strategic about that content, but open up doors and opportunities and find opportunities where the big brands may not be addressing. And you might have a, a program, you might have an MBA program that specializes in, you know, STEM and environmental, you know, uh, policy or something like that, that is really, you know, relatively not super competitive. And you can build a lot of content around that to, to, you know, try to expand your, your reach with that specific audience. What's really interesting about uh, the examples you just gave, the thing that you, you know, the channel that you mentioned that folks focus on when they're interested in increasing brand reach is uh, you talked about SEO and inbound, both of which are, you know, it's it's kind of hard to do. Meaning it's there, it's a long term solution, right? Like you're playing you're playing the long game. And so what what I hear you saying there is that schools with regional brands that do want to expand those brands shouldn't look for kind of quick and dirty solutions like like paid search, it. right? Like yep. you could go, you could go drop a shit ton of money on paid search and then get a bunch of traffic for a short period of time. And then the minute you stop paying, the minute all that goes away. Yep. So what I kind of hear you saying is that if the goal is to expand your brand reach, you want to take a, a more thoughtful inbound sort of uh, SEO uh, focused approach as mm -hmm. opposed to kind of a shorter term solution. Leverage digital PR, you know, yeah, I think it's a blend too. Like you have to solve your short term goals and objectives, right? But I think we're a lot of a lot of partners that, that we've worked with where they look back a couple of years and say, gosh, I wish we would have put more of an investment there because, you know, if you kind of are consistent with it, you're creating evergreen content that's going to generate results for years to come. Right. If you do it well and you can refresh, you know, it's it's um, scalable because you can refresh existing content that's performed really well. Let's do a refresh. Let's tweak it. Let's add to it. So you can do it in a really scalable way. You don't have to have a huge team to do it. Um, but it pays dividends for a long time. It helps build brand. You can kind of own a segment of the search, you know, market without having to pay a dime, right? Like to your point, you're gonna have to keep continue paying to, to attack those without that channel. Yeah. And costs are only increasing. Right? Yeah, I think it is important too to understand the investment that it takes to break into a new market. Because I think sometimes, you know, that's overlooked a little bit of like, okay, so our cost per enrollment in our local market is, you know, $1,200. Totally just making that up. If you want to go out into a new market, your cost per enrollment is not going to be $1,200. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be double that. Yeah. It might be triple that for a while. So yeah. you have to be willing to kind of make those bets and make those investments in a strategic way of both short-term and long-term solutions um, or plays to, you know, create the brand awareness and then capture that demand with really strong 
lead forms and conversion, you know, like optimize your landing pages and your lead forms and all of that. But I think one of the the biggest things I like I said that I think gets overlooked is just what that investment really looks like and how it takes a while to chip away at those costs. Yeah. It, when once you've kind of established your brand in an area, then you might be able to expect that that lower cost per enrollment again. And that's like, yeah, that's such a good point too, because I, I think like marketing leadership needs to do an effective job at communicating that to institutional leadership, right? Like it's like, hey, if if this is an institutional priority, like if it, if our goal is to expand our regional brand and, and go national, that's great. Like here's how we do that and oh and by the way we're going to double if not triple our cost per enrollment for the next three years are we all good like we, we, this this is still the plan right and i think that that is the conversation that oftentimes doesn't quite happen um or at least happen happen enough and therefore when marketing does go and they try to increase brand awareness at a more uh, at, at a broader level and then leads start coming in and they start costing twice or, or three times as much. It, it's a flag to institutional leadership, right? It's like, what what's going on here? We're clearly not optimizing things enough. We're failing, right? Or it's like, wow, it costs this much to acquire an applicant from Idaho. It's like, you know, and yet these are the kinds of the kinds of conversations that need to that need to be happening because there's nothing wrong with a double or, or triple cost per enrollment if again it's an institutional strategic decision. Totally agree. And there's been so many scenarios where um, I wish those conversations would have happened because we'll come in as a partner and looking to maximize, you know, a fairly limited budget. And we can't we might not be able to invest a lot in organic, if at all. Right. We might we might have to start, you know, with search. And that's just the only thing we can do to create demand, especially for a new program. Right. So there's a lot of scenarios where I wish we were part of those conversations or at least those conversations were had and expectations were set. Um, at least to either have a realistic budget or agreement on what that cost per enrollment is going to be. And, you know, the understanding that it's may not be a profitable venture for a few years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Especially in this market, as competitive as it is, it's kind of the expectation. Yeah. It's easy to say that you want to expand <laughs> nationally or regionally. But yeah, when we go back to clients to say like, well, this is what it would take to do that. I think those were the that's where the meaningful conversations yeah. start to happen. Well, sobering reality. <laughs> here's what's interesting. Like, as we're talking about this, a lot of the way I'm thinking about it is with master's programs, right? But think about boot camps and certs, which price point is much lower. Your your room for error is much smaller, right? And you yeah. need to be really creative in, in, you know, what you're doing in order to have reasonable CPEs. So I think it's even more critical as you look to launch those new modalities to be really realistic with what to expect. You may not make any money or lose money for quite a while yeah. until organic and those kind of channels can bring down your aggregate costs, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. My, my last question for, for both of you is around how you help, how, how Archer helps advise clients on and your partners on whether or not to spend a bunch of money on a brand campaign and or be a little bit more strategic and spend money on targeted enrollment marketing campaigns. And I want to throw out a scenario to you, to the both of you to consider. So oftentimes in, in higher ed, if you're dealing with a director of admissions or you're dealing with a VP of enrollment management, they might come and they, they, they might say, we just need more awareness, right? Faculty say this all the time in particular. Like faculty are always like, we just need more people to know about our program, right? And, and oftentimes, like if, if you were to take that at face value, literally, it's like, okay, this is, this is a brand campaign then, right? Like, okay, great. We'll create this little video and we'll just 
we'll blast it out across social and we'll get millions of impressions and more people will know about you, right? And then oftentimes like that doesn't actually end up leading into an increase in any sort of like meaningful enrollment, right? So oftentimes folks don't really know what they're asking for when they're when they're asking for for help. So how do you guys help folks figure this stuff out and how do you have honest conversations with them about hey this is how much you want to spend on on brand versus okay if, if enroll if an increase in enrollment is is your goal this is the set of strategies and tactics that we'd recommend for you Clayton I feel like this is your world all day every day <laughs> <laughs> it totally is well and the reality is we again we're working usually with limited budgets like we don't have the ability to take 100k and throw it at brand, right? Just to increase exposure. So what our team does is look at, you know, we have enough data and, and, you know, experience to understand if you have X amount of budget and these are your enrollment goals, we know exactly, we kind of reverse engineer that. And we know exactly what we need to do to produce the number of leads, the number of apps and what have you, right? That's not, not rocket science, but you know, we usually start there because if it's very rare that we're working on a project that is like, Oh, we just want to increase exposure. And that's, that's it. Yeah, like it's yeah. not tied to enrollments. It's yeah. not like, it's very rare. That's a problem we're trying to solve for them and help them gain exposure. It's usually in conjunction with the demand campaign. So we might carve off some for, for, you know, brand, especially if it's a new program. Like I remember when the, you know, um, business analytics and those programs came out, they were still kind of new. There wasn't a lot of search volume, okay, well, we'll kind of try to build a brand around those to start, right? And educate people who might be looking at an MBA that yeah. something like that might be better suited, right? So like, it's pretty rare we're just going straight brand and we'll usually push them away, especially 99% of the time we're trying to help increase enrollments. Yeah. Brand is not necessarily going to do that, right? It's especially impact the immediate cohort that they're concerned about. Yeah, right? I think to your point there too, Zach, I think a lot of institutions, smaller institutions that are trying to be competitive, think that that's the difference between them and these larger institutions yeah, and brands. Yeah. Like everyone knows about them. No one knows about us. Yep. We're over here. All they need to do is know about us and they'll come <laughs> running, you know? And so I think it is important to have that conversation and to help educate um, institutions on, you know, the mass, mass marketing campaigns you know, everyone might see them, but you're not really appealing to anyone with those mass messages or, you know, and um, you really have to focus on um, who your audience, who the audience is that you're really trying to connect with and go after that audience. So, mm -hmm. you know, there is this world where, yes, it's a brand campaign, so to speak, but if it's very targeted to the right people, it can be effective at generating right. leads, um, yep. both awareness <laughs> with the right audience and actual like inquiries and enrollments from it too. That's a great call. And I'd say we're looking at this from the lens of graduate. I think undergrad, it can be a little bit different, sure. but more so at the graduate level is kind of where our, our heads are at. But um, yeah, nine times out of 10, we're going to, we're going to advocate for channels that we know we can create demand, um, and, and be confident in that. Well, this has been great. This has been a lot of fun. Um, and I appreciate you both coming on and, and sharing more insights with us for our listeners. This is episode four of the Archer Enrollify podcast series. If you want to listen to episodes one, two, and three, you can click down and access them via the links in the show notes. All this content will be hosted on enrollify.org as well. Angie, Clayton, thank you for your time. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us.